All right, we're live. So, uh, hey, this is the True Transformation Podcast for those of you who are tuning in. Um, we are actually live streaming on a bunch of different platforms. So thanks for listening. Thanks for watching wherever you are. Today, I have a really, really special guest on the show. Uh, it's actually my business partner, uh, head of sales, head of client management, client support of the True Transformation, Ryan Callen, uh, who just wrapped up something pretty pretty mind-blowing and incredible this past weekend and i figured i could go through it myself tell you guys what he did but i'd much rather have uh him on the the show and uh, we're getting some echo i think here on the instagram side so we might hop off the instagram but um i wanted to have him on the show to talk about his um experience this past weekend running what is called the Moab 240. And for those of you who don't know what that is, obviously I'm going to let Ryan dig into the details uh, uh, what that is, but it's 240 miles. <laughs> let, let's just put that out there. 240 miles. Uh, Ryan accomplished the entire race without a pacing team. So he didn't have people running with him. He didn't have a full-blown you know, crew, an entourage, a support team like I saw a lot of the guys utilizing. Um, and he did it under a hundred hours. So he made the deadline that they set, but he literally had set a goal of doing it under hundred hours, which when he told me that, I thought, man, you're kind of crazy, but Hey, I, I believe you, man, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> and he knocked it out. So I had to have him on the show to talk about this amazing accomplishment talk about his thought process going into it, his experience during it, some of the trials, tribulations. I mean, you know, whether you're into endurance sports or not, this is just an incredible feat. Um, and so Ryan, thanks for jumping on the show, brother. Congrats, man. You've, you blew my mind. You blew everybody's mind. How are you feeling today? Good. And speaking of incredible feet, mine aren't right now. So, um, <laughs> they, uh, what feet are, are they still there? Yeah, they get, they get torn up. We uh, will, we'll keep the, the graphic aspect of that out of this and not show you, um, the, the Hobbit Ryan that's kind of hanging out right now, um, from the ankles down. So, that's part of the, the the thing and how this works. Um, I mean, if you just get a little swollen. In fact, when you and I didn't know this until I started doing 200s until uh, Mike McKnight, a guy who I've been pretty close with for the last six months, helped me out is you actually need to get shoes that are about a size, size and a half larger than your normal shoe size because you actually need to pre-prepare for swelling um, because that will actually happen throughout the race. And it's okay. crazy, but it's true. And if you have them too tight, your feet swell even more. And then if you have to take them off because you pop a blister or something happens, it gets even crazier. So, yeah, it's it's it was nuts. Uh, there are crazy highs. There are crazy lows. There are just jubilant times of, like, you crossing the finish and, like, you getting there and remembering why you're doing this and just, like, the ultimate awesome peak. And then there's times of, you know, it's 5 in the morning and it's freaking dark out. It's been dark for the last seven hours. And – you're not moving fast because the terrain has been crap and the weather's horrible and you got a 40 mile an hour gust that is just making everything about you cold and wondering why the hell am I here? Cause you're on day three and you still have like another 60 miles to go. So you, you, you just, you're all over the place when it comes to just your emotions. And yes, I didn't have a pacer. Yes. I didn't have a crew, but I had amazing people around me that I made sure that I set myself up for success so that I didn't do this alone. I contacted an awesome person named Hector Rodriguez before this race and he had enough pacer and crew, I think, for 15 people. I honestly think he had like 16 different people in his in his crew. I think he had seven oh. different pacers, something like that. And then 
Um, he was finishing up his triple crown. Um, I had originally signed up for it as well. Um, but when Bigfoot didn't go as well um, for me up in Washington and then Tahoe ended due to the fires, everyone kind of was on their own as far as putting something together virtually. And I just opted not to do it myself. And so being able to do Moab and do that with him was really awesome. We connected a lot together as people who enjoy wearing the color black. He's the same as me. I really enjoy it. Um, he wears headphones. I wore them through the race too. And uh, he's just an awesome dude who, I mean, you go through something like this with other people together. Uh, it, man, um, you can't describe the just brotherhood that takes place once you go through something like that with someone for so long. Um, that's, that's honestly what I think life is about um, when it comes to just forging bonds with people in order for you to be able to do that. People will wonder why they don't have some of the relationships they had back in high school. Well, a lot of why you had those close relationships started from the fitness aspect of you being a part of a team and having a goal and accomplishing something. And then once you have that, the key thing that's so important with relationships, which is the fellowship aspect and you actually talking to them, well, that will come, but it needs to come from that first aspect as well. And so once those things come together, it's so huge. And that's when you can really kind of galvanize things together and really start uniting and starting to see some amazing things. So all that was a big part of this this awesome journey, and it was it was a ton of fun. My original goal wasn't even a, a time goal. You have 113 hours to finish this race. Um, I had told um, Mike McKnight, he came up and visited me um, at a location and started walking with me for a while. He finished the race stupid fast, um, set a course record at 55 hours, and then came up, and he has four clients who he had worked with throughout the race, too just made sure they were doing good. And I told him, I said, you know what? My legs are feeling pretty good. I think I can, you know, try for sub 100 tomorrow, but you know, we'll see. Cause originally I just wanted to finish the thing because going from hundreds and some of the different stuff I had done to 200, it's, it's a massive jump. Um, and more importantly for myself, I just wanted to finish. So it was a lot, but we got her done and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to kind of reminisce and look back at some of the awesome people that helped me out along the way for sure. So, so let's start from, let's back up a, a bit and sure. start with, what made you want to do the the Moab 240? I mean, for those watching, you know, some people probably never even heard of this race. Running 240 miles sounds, you know, borderline, well, not borderline, full, full blown, insane. And yeah. people are probably thinking, like, what, you know, is this like something people just do? Like, what, what was the thought process behind that? Yeah. So I first heard about ultra running back in 2017, 18. Probably like a lot of people, actually. A lot of people talk about David Goggins, which is great. The first time I actually heard about it was from Courtney DeWalter on Joe Rogan's podcast. Um, but what fascinated me more was, and Courtney's awesome, by the way. I think she's incredible. Anyone who like runs a million miles and eats nachos and has beer and can still win races is amazing. But what fascinated me is I, I saw the person who got third, which was Mike McKnight. And I'm like, wait. He didn't just get third place. He had done two other 200 mile races before that. And I just found that so fascinating that someone would like do that. And so I started looking up more into the sport and just kind of what people do. And I mean, at that time I wasn't even a runner. Um, I had just finished up like my first 5k for a local just charity cause. And then I did, it was funny. I was just getting reminders on my phone today. Four years ago was my first ever half marathon called the space rock half marathon. Um, I finished that, built awesome relationships with that. Shout out Anders, um, who's a guy who represents the United States for Ironman. I got to meet him across the finish line with him. There's so many just relationships and people you meet along the way doing this. And then I, I just, I started writing out goals and dreams for the first time in my life. It's kind of embarrassing, but I was 27 years old. I'd never wrote out goals and dreams. And so I'm like, you know what? Within the next year, I want to do a marathon. I did that. And then I started thinking like, you know, what else can I do from here? 
And uh, so then I ended up signing up for a hundred mile race. It's kind of stupid as to how I did it, but I, I did it. I, I was actually out in Vegas with some buddies. And I think honestly, I probably started watching some Goggins hype videos or something like that and signed up for the race because I probably just had a little too much fun the night before. And then after that, I'm like, cool, let's just do it. And uh, it's, it's funny, but like, apparently I, I talked to the race director and she's talked about this. People do that all the time. Like they just go out and get like fired up one night, but then the next day they'll send her an email and be like, uh, so I was actually really, really boozed last night. And uh, I don't, I'm not excited. I'm not running a 200 mile race tomorrow. Um, but apparently it happened. Yeah, not a hundred. Yeah. I, I, I just, I signed up for the hundred, did it. And um, it was, it was really awesome. Um, and then 2020 came and there was just a lot of craziness going on with races in general. I was trying to do shorter stuff with trying to qualify for Boston. It just couldn't happen because they're all canceled. And so I knew that there was a bunch of long endurance races out there. And so I figured sign up for them, give them a shot and they probably won't get canceled. And it gave me something to shoot for and go for. And so, yeah, I did it. The first one was top, I'm sorry, uh, Bigfoot up in Washington and um, you try to prepare for these things as much as possible. And the one thing I didn't do a good enough job of was staying hydrated because by day two, my urine was really, really dark. Um, and by dark, I, it just, it was, it looked like a, not quite as dark as coffee, but like a light coffee. Um, it was just looking down and seeing that coming out of your body is disturbing, especially with some blood in it as well. And uh, what was really cool, again, was some of the people who I met along the way, the awesome volunteers. And what really brought this full circle for me is the awesome volunteers, Nicole and Jen, who said, you know, I can't force you to make you out of this race. But I I mean, if, if you were related to me, you'd be, you'd be gone by now and you shouldn't be here and you need to go take care of yourself because this is serious and not good. They're also the same two people who are standing at the finish line at Moab for me, giving me a hug when I finished. So the volunteers at these races are amazing. That's kind of the... I know it's not short, but just kind of story as to why I signed up for these, how I got into this world. And just, I mean, I encourage people all the time. Like I've been doing this for four years. Anyone can do this stuff. It's, it's totally mind over matter. I met some amazing people. Ryan Lang's a guy out there who he's another dude. He, he was a chubby kid. He even talks about it when he was in high school. And now he's the youngest person to ever finish Moab. He did it when he was 20 years old and I think he's 24 now. And I, I got to meet him up at Moab aid station in mile 32. So the amazing relationships and people you, you meet in this and, and how they overcome things and what they can do is, is incredible. Mike McKnight finished this race and got fifth place. I'm sorry, first place for the fifth time doing a 200. And when he was 24 years old, he broke his back and they told me he could never run again. So wow. some of the things that people do um, with some of the adversity they deal with is, is incredible. And I'm just blessed to be a part of the story. So, so, ha so you obviously got into it kind of on a, almost not a whim, but just like, Hey, I want to, I want to challenge myself. I, you know, I want to start writing down some goals, start tackling some things, getting out of my comfort zone. You knock out a few races, you start getting into the game. You learned a lot, obviously from the Bigfoot race, right. Or the, yep. the hundred mile, the hundred mile attempt. What, uh, what is training like as you're preparing for a 240 mile race? Like people are probably thinking like, how's it even possible time-wise, right. To prep for something like that, because you're talking about doing something around hundred hours. I mean, what kind of time do you got to put in to get ready for something like that? Well, the training for the, so the, the Bigfoot is actually 200 training for that actually beforehand was like, it was more extensive. Um, I was having some 60, 70 mile weeks and stuff too. But like, what was, what was tough was when I was done with that, I had IT band issues as well. So I actually, I wasn't running for like about three weeks after that um, time. I ran a little bit here and there, but it was more of a jog. 
I mean, I mean, you guys even saw when you were there too. It was like I could do some stuff and my legs started feeling fresher, but I didn't want to push it too hard. And so I was focusing more on just IT band exercises and workouts before I started really cranking things up and focusing more on rest because the endurance was there for myself and I knew it would be there. But I just wanted to make sure I didn't get to a place to where I couldn't walk or I was injured or something really bad flared up again. And so I started ratcheting up more miles uh, this last month and focusing more on flats. Um, the difference between Moab, even though it's longer in mileage than Bigfoot or Tahoe, some of these other ones, is it's a lot flatter, um, even though there's still a lot of hills. Trail races, you're going to have a lot of elevation gain and whatnot. Um, but each race is different when it comes to a trail race and elevation gain. And people who are out there have no idea what's going on. Elevation gain is huge. One 100-mile race and another 100-mile race can be totally different. Based So, like, if you finish the Leadville 100, which a lot of people might know of from, like, Nick Bear just finished. He's going to have a series coming out here this Saturday. That has 33,000 elevation gain. Or, like, the Bear 100, which is in Logan, Utah. As opposed to, say, like, the one Goggins finished in his book, Can't Hurt Me, when he just ran around a track 100 times. These are totally different races. And one person can finish one in, like, 18 hours. And another one can finish one like 27, but the guy who did it in 27 might be way faster than 18. But the reason it's taking one person so long is literally because of that elevation. And it makes a massive difference in slowing you down. So for Moab, it's only about 24,000 elevation throughout the entire 240. Bigfoot had 45,000 for just 208. It might as well have just been a hike the entire time. Mm. It was just uphill nonstop. I only ran like I don't know, 20 miles of my 91 that I had done at that race. Whereas Moab, I ran a significant amount because there were so many flats and places I could just go. Um, and there's still a lot of spots you got to hike and stuff too. Um, but it's, it's, it's just depending on like what the trail is like and whatnot too. So that's a lot of what the training looked like too. And yeah, there's different days and different things you're tr practicing and training on. Um, but yeah, there's, there's areas and times where you're just like, holy smokes, I'm, I'm not running. I'm, I'm hiking this. This is gnarly. So sure. So I know because those of you who don't know, like we hung out not too long before you ran Moab, um, literally about a month actually before. Yeah. yeah. And I remember when we were hanging out, like you said, I mean, your IT band had suffered some pretty bad damage from the race right, right prior to that. Um, so it's almost like you had built up enough endurance from your previous training to feel relatively confident that at least from an endurance standpoint, you were going to be okay. And the main concern was just, I don't want to get hurt, right? I don't want to get out there and have a debilitating injury where, you know, I have to exit the course just because I, I literally can't walk. Yeah. So the training leading up to Moab was more, if I'm correct, more, or correct me if I'm wrong, but more like injury rehab a little bit. Yeah. Coupled with just, uh, you know, preventing something catastrophic from happening out on the course. Yeah. I had uh, six different exercises and you actually got to see it when you were there too, that yeah. I did on a day by day basis, just to make sure I was just, and it's just base core strengthening of my IT band. I was making sure I was doing wall sits. Um, I, I just had a, a, multiple different things where I was just making sure I was using band workouts as well um, to just strengthen the base core of that band and, and make sure that it wasn't, it wasn't tightening up or wasn't throwing me off. I had zero issues with it the whole race. So it worked. Mm. Wow. Um, I was doing it on a day by day basis. So that was a real big, uh, big twist and making sure that I connected with Mike and talked to him about that. Um, but then like, it was, you know, it was good for me to, um, just be able to, to, to just make sure I could focus on, um, some core movements as well. And some of the other things that I need to do too. But yeah, I, I just not having to worry about that or deal with that was big that honestly, the toughest thing for me is 
I knew it would be tough too. The the lack of sleep is brutal, man. Um, mm. I'm a guy who likes to sleep. Um, I like to get eight hours a day, and when I don't, I suck. And I, you don't get eight hours the whole week. At least I didn't. I think there's a couple of people maybe who do, but that's the hardest part. It's not like you know you don't get sleep and you're not exerting energy. I mean, you're all you're doing is exerting energy. So well, let's let's walk through this. So how do you? So you start the race right, and and you're yeah. you're at Moab. And you kick things off. What time did you kick the race off? What, what time? Did 6 a.m. Friday. So 6 a.m. Friday is when everyone starts. Yep. Yep. Right there at the, at the RV park at Moab, Utah. And then you start heading down the street and everyone's going and it's really cool. And everyone's cheering. You're like, oh, this is euphoric. This is awesome. And I, my favorite thing is, and I'll, I'll be posting these this weekend. I took videos from day one. And then I took a video from the morning of day two, the evening of day two, and the morning day three. And then I have one on day four where I'm just like looking at the camera. I'm just like, hey, what's up? Uh, it's uh, what day is it? Monday. So, so you Monday? Start. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, like, you just get to a point where you're just like, "What is happening?" Um, right. But uh, I mean, you just keep pushing and keep going because you're just like, I mean, you've come this far. But uh, yeah, you start there, and then yeah, the 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 first day, it's a lot more more flat. Um, there is some terrain where it's pretty gnarly. Um, especially one of the downhills. To where it's like a mile and a half of you go into this canyon and it is just insane. I don't know the names as well as so many of the other runners and whatnot, um, but the view's crazy. There's awesome pictures, um, especially from the sites and stuff. You can go to the Moab 240 site and they have amazing pictures. There's camera people there on site um, who do an amazing job. And um, yeah, I mean, it can't, you can't even do justice with your own like little cell phone and, and whatnot too. And I've tried put on some of the GoPro stuff, but what it, it's a challenge because it's just additional stuff that you're trying to think about and worry about when you're just trying to run the race. So right. you also have to have someone there who's actually just doing that for you. Um, so but what kind of pace did you start out at? I'm just curious, like, cause people are probably wondering like, you know, what are your, do you just try to get out of the gate and get down as far as possible, like cover as much ground as possible sure. or do you have kind of some targets in your head? That's a great question. So at Bigfoot, I, I tried to shoot. I mean, I saw it as like a normal race. I, I mean, I saw Brian Langley. I was talking about before he shoots out. He's, he's fast. I saw some of these other people and I'm like, Oh, I got to keep up with them. Like I got to do like, in order to keep my pace, I got to do really, really well. And it was 105 that first day. And it just, I blew up. I went too hard, too fast. And so for this time, not worried about it. I'm just like, I'm going to take my time. I'm going to jog. If I have to walk up the uphills, basically the entire race, if there's uphills, if there's anything with, I going to sense at all. I'm hiking. Mm. Um, flats and downhills you try to try to jog it as much as you can especially if it's runnable terrain there's going to be terrain that's not as runnable on your flats and downhills you're just going to do your best but anything that's really up i'm typically not running um, because you're just going to be expending too much energy and if you can hike it you can actually hike slash power walk at almost the same type pace as you would running so might as well save yourself the energy sure. so early on even if you have more energy again i learned this lesson from before this is this is not a Boston Marathon. You know, if, if you're going quick, three hour or four hour, five hour race for a marathon. This is not even a you know 50 mile race. It's not a hundred mile race. We can do this in a day. When you have 113 hours to finish something, you have to be thinking so long term that the last thing that's on your mind is I got to get done right now. I got to get done right now. It's what's going to help me to keep things going in the right direction to where I can ultimately finish and get across that line and. So I, I thought about that more than anything else and just making sure I could have longevity as opposed to what is going to be a quick burst of speed. Yeah, there's going to be times where if it's a flat, I got like 134 miles after I had just gotten some rest. 
I did, uh, I think it was like 11 minute per mile pace for like 10 miles. I just crushed wow. it at that point. That's insane. But, um, it's not something that like you're doing all the time because the train's not always going to be that way. So it's sure. a lot of different variables. So that's a great question though. Yeah. I mean, I, so when you're running or I, obviously you're, you're, you got a certain amount of time, you said 113 hours, right. To yep. cross the finish line. So what, what did you do for rest? I mean, how, how did you take rest? Did you fall asleep somewhere? Like how does that work? So they have, there's aid stations that are spaced out throughout the entirety of this course. Okay. 240 mile course and the gaps between the eights. Here's where this is so much different than any other race. Other races that are out there and what I'm used to as well, you're going to have the longest gap, even on a hundred mile race, 50 mile, any of those hundred K you're going to have probably eight to 10, 11 miles between an aid station max for a gap, which is still a decent amount of time as far as like in between aid stations. If you do a normal marathon, every like five miles, there's usually like you can pick up some gummies and you can get, hydration of some sort i don't know if you've ever done one yourself or even a half marathon it's usually you know every three to five miles yeah. like that this race there are segments where you have to go like multiple segments where you have to go 20 to 26 miles without aid wow and so you have your backpack and i mean i mean here's the other thing too this is not like you're just bolting your know, boston marathon style on a flat course to get there so if you have like say four thousand elevation gain and you have a 23 mile segment like, man, even the fastest people, like, it's going to take them probably four or five hours. I'm not the fastest guy out there either. So sure. if I'm not the fastest, there, there's very real possibility you're going seven hours without aid. And so you have to be stocked up. There is minimal requirements and emergency stuff you have to be having. You have to have an emergency blanket with you at all times. You have to have emergency whistle. You have to make sure you have emergency sleeping bag, all these different things. And this stuff adds up as far as you're carrying this too, remember, because, I mean, sure. you have to have it. In addition to the amount of water that you have to have, I had three liters on me at all times. And at the aid stations, when I knew I was going into a long segment, I forced myself to drink an uncomfortable amount of water because, and, and by the way, you don't just drink regular water. They have what's called tailwind at the aid stations. I prefer having my own different mixes of stuff. I actually use our endurance formula um, and I mix it with a little bit of called gnarly nutrition for just flavoring reasons. Um, but I didn't mix it at each aid state because it just takes a long time to mix and scoop and do all your stuff. They do it for you with the substance called Tailwind at all the aid stations. And because they already have that, it takes a while to like fill up all your bottles and do all that stuff and put it in the right place and have it all and everywhere. And because you already have your checklist of am I eating enough calories? Am I doing that? I didn't do a good enough job of putting my sunscreen and my chapstick on as I'm all burnt and going to crap. But you have your different things you're trying to do taking care of your feet at each aid station because maybe if it just rained, you have to avoid blisters. Do I need to rewrap stuff? That's what the runners are thinking about at these aid stations and what they need to be doing. And if you don't do one of those things right, it can really mess you up and throw you off your race. Um, sure. So hope that gives maybe a little bit more of an idea as to what you have to do, how long these aid stations can be. You'll have some shorter spots for aid stations, but I think the shortest spot we had in this entire race for an aid station was about eight miles. So, so you would sleep there. They have areas for you to fall asleep. And like, yes. So yes. Yeah, yeah. For the sleeping areas, uh, the first sleep station took place. I think it was mile. I think it was like either 47 or 72. Okay. One of the two. And at any point in time. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, I just, honestly, I can't remember the first sure. one. I, I, I didn't sleep the first two days. So. So like 40, 48 hours straight, basically without sleep to start. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. So how long um, did you sleep then when you first, or I guess were able to sleep? 
Yeah, so we got to the second day was really the first day it actually rained. It was overcast. It was really nice for running. Um, it started getting annoying after about four hours of rain because that could mess up your course and make it too sludgy. Sure. So a light rain is nice because it keeps the dust down. But then once it gets to be too much, that could be frustrating. But early on, it was actually pretty nice. The train was okay. I liked it. Um, what can really suck is the rain can really cause blisters and chafing. And I didn't do a good enough job of taking care of the chafing part of myself. I'm not getting into the details. I'll just let everyone know out there. It was really ugly in the dude section of my body. <laughs> Should have used was, Manscaped. Shout bro, out to Manscaped. <laughs> bro, it was, it was a nightmare. Um, some of the chafing stuff I put down there, once I eventually started taking care of it, it was like, I was a dude who had women issues. So I'll just leave it at that. It was that bad. Um, it was ugly. It was disgusting. And you're running with that the whole time too. So you're kind of doing like the penguin waddle. Cause you're just, uh, it's gross, yeah. but I mean, that's why you got to take care of it. And you got to make sure you change your underwear and doing all that stuff and put your, your chafing butter on. But so the sleep stations, they had them pretty frequently actually after that. I almost want to say every aid station had like a cot or something you could sleep on. And honestly, even throughout the race too, People take trail naps. Happens all the time. Like if you're just exhausted, you just go on the side of the trail because you have all these different things. And like there's multiple times where me and Hector, I was with Hector about like 80% of the race. I just look at him and be like, dude, I'm guessing like five minute trail nap. I'm like, okay. So yeah. we just like lay over to the side. I would pull my, I had a net gator on and I would have it on my head and my ears during the nighttime because it'd be cold. And I would just pull it down so it would cover my eyes. I just lay down and within 30 seconds, I'm out. And then after that, I mean, Five, 10 minutes, it's not like you feel perfect, but it helps out, gives you a little bit of energy, and then you go on again. So um, I can't do what some of the like rock stars do. So like Mike, who finished in first place, I think he took 20 minutes of rest the entire race. I can't do that. Wow. Kudos to him for doing that. Um, I struggle if I don't get like real bad. So I, the first night, or sorry, the first night, no sleep, second night, uh, we tried sleeping at, we were at mile 102 and it was about 4.30 in the afternoon. It was really hot out. It was probably about 85, 90 degrees out. And we were going pretty slow because the weather was really hot. And uh, I just told our group, I'm like, I think we should maybe rest for a little bit. And I, we, we tr they tried, I don't know if they rested, tried to rest. I didn't sleep at all. So I just used the time to stretch. And then again, that night we got to, I want to say it was aid 120. We tried sleeping again, but this is on top of a mountain. And so I think our elevation at this point was 8,500. It was 30 degrees at night. I have my emergency blanket on, but I'm still wearing shorts. And I didn't, I probably slept 10 minutes because wow. I was shivering the entire time. I'm amazed like every single person in the tent didn't punch me because when you're wearing an emergency blanket, it looks like like aluminum foil. Right. It sounds like you. And I figured they were just going to like start stoning me because it was so loud. <laughs> but no, they didn't. Thank goodness. Got it. Did um, not finish due to stoning. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Dude's so freaking loud. And it's like, shut up, bro. We're trying to sleep. Right. Um, wow. But yeah, it was, uh, it was cold. And so now I'm way behind on sleep and then 7am hits and we're in the next section. And I just told my friends, I'm like, just go, I'm taking a trail nap again, started shivering, couldn't sleep. So I'm like, screw it. Some amazing guy named Brandon comes by with hand warmers. He's like, Dude, you're freezing. He's like, start slapping his hand warmers, getting them warmed up. He's like, you need to either put them in your armpits or downstairs. Threw them downstairs, felt amazing, started warming up, and I just ran for the next like six miles. He couldn't believe it. He's like, I can't believe that worked. Super funny. 
saw yeah. Brandon at the end of the finish line too. And then finally at the next aid station, that's when I slept for an hour and a half. And that's when I had my really good flat. Um, I think I had another three hour nap and maybe an hour and a half. So probably total about five, six hours sleep in the, in the f- just under five days I ran. So, wow. So <laughs> as I'm sure everyone's wondering is like, you know, you're out there, you're not only trying to stay awake for that long. I mean, you know, that amount of sleep is not even enough for one day. Right. So four days and not to mention you're moving literally the whole time, basically yeah, up and down different terrains. So at, at what point did you start to like, have some mental issues, right? Because I mean, I'm sure it's just normal. Like ha- they won. Oh yeah. They won. Oh yeah. Because for me, for me, it was I had just dropped this last race, so I'm still in. Like it was the first time I'd ever DNF from a race, and I was just very open with the people I was with. Um, my brother calls it a gift because he can't do it, um, which is being able to be very vulnerable with strangers. But I don't see them as strangers when I'm kind of going through insane suffering with them. I started seeing these people I'm kind of bonding with. And honestly, like, this is all I have. I have these people. And if I don't open up with them and just let them know, like, I'm going to, I mean, to be quite frank, a shitty spot, like, it's going to really suck. And so I just, like, let them know, like, hey, I'm, like, I'm not doing well. Here's what's not doing well. Here are the different things that are really frustrating me right now. Here's why I'm doing this. Here's what's going on. Why do you guys do this? Talk me through this stuff. Because I really struggle if it's just silent and I'm in my own thoughts and I'm in my own head for a long period of time. And so that's why surrounding yourself by other people, at least from my standpoint, is beneficial. Sure. And so that's why it's it's good to just make sure you aren't just alone by yourself for really long periods of time, at least from my standpoint. People who can do it. That's great. I personally can't. So um, the first night, though, there were some some challenges for, for me. And there's there's spots where I was really high and just kept telling myself, like, man, I get to be here. Like, this is so cool. Um, and then there was times where. I, I would just be like, oh man, like I need all the motivation in the world because it can't get any worse than this and everything hurts. And yeah, I think I told you guys, like, I just want to chuck my trekking poles as far as I can and just swear as loud as I can and see what happens. And it's not going to fix anything, but I want to. So did you hallucinate out there at all? I did. I saw, um, I saw four hippos riding a caboose. It was a red caboose. Um, I knew I needed some sleep after that. So, um, I was day, what day was that? That was the night. Let's see. So that would have been uh Sunday night. Yeah. Sunday night. Cause it would have been the last time I slept. It would have been Monday morning. Um, yeah. And, uh, we got to the aid station and, and they were like, we're gonna take 30 and then you ready. And I'm like, see ya. I'll catch up to you guys later. So, cause I'm like, there's no way. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm like I'm seeing stuff that's it's not there. So that's crazy, right. man. So um when did you know? Cause like obviously, like I'm sure knowing at least myself, right? I've I've experienced hardships on races and stuff. I've never done 240 miles, but sure, sure. I, I tore a bicep yeah. in the Spartan race, and you know, there's always doubt that creeps in, like after you go through something like that, where like, oh, you're just like, don't want to get hurt, don't want anything bad to happen. Am I going to finish? And then when you go back out there and you do it and you make it through multiple times, you start to, it's like a certain point of the race where you realize, oh, I'm going to finish, right? Like I'm going to do this. What was that point for you? When did you realize this is happening? I'm going to get it done. I'm going to cross that finish line. Was there a moment or did you just like not think about it? I honestly, the first time it actually was like, this is happening. I'm going to like, I'm finishing was, 
when the sun finally came out in the last morning. Um, other than that, it was just like I focus, and I got this from from Mike. I just focus one aid station at a time. Mm. And anytime I try to focus too much more, anytime I let that doubt or any of that creep in, it just becomes a nightmare. It becomes overwhelming because even the last segment when I started it seemed daunting. Like nineteen. How long miles. was the last segment? Yeah, I was going to ask you how long. It was nineteen miles. So it was two twenty was the last aid station, and I thought I was going to just cruise the last thirty one. Because the, the second to last aid station was 208. I get there, and a lot of people are taking their time. I uh, took my shoes off for the first time. Um, felt really good. Got some good food in my system. Changed everything out. Was feeling really good. Uh, I just, I'm like, I'm going to crush this next 50K because it was a lot of downhills, everyone was telling me. A lot of runnable terrain. And I love downhills and runnable terrain. I do really well at that. Some people do better uphill. I don't. Mm. So I'm like, I'm going to go crush this next segment. Did really The next segment I was doing like – four and a half miles per hour, which at that point in the race, that's good. So sure. I was pretty happy with that. Like top elite guys might be doing 10 or 11 minute per mile pace at that point, which is about five miles an hour. So for me to be doing four and a half at that point, I'm like sick. Doing great until I got about a mile and a half away from that aid station. And then in my right foot, on my heel, massive blister, felt it pop, felt the stuff go all over the place. Oh. Yeah. So that sucks. And what's worse is – I just talked to my friend and coach, Mike, his good friend, his name is Ben. Ben has been an ultra running guy for a long time. His name is Ben Light. He knows everything about this stuff. Um, his wife, I believe, does um, chiropractic type stuff and just helps with people. So he just knows a lot about if something's wrong or torn or something's in the wrong spot, where you need to fix it, what it looks like. Well, the, the night before he had told me because I was having real bad problems with my shin um, just tightening up. It was because my toes were being used too much. And this is on my right foot. Well, now I have to use the toes on my right foot because the ball of my right foot just had a massive blister pop. So I probably looked like the stupidest idiot for the next mile and a half, just trying to like hobble around and just do whatever it takes to get to the aid station. Cause I'm like, I just got to get there. But my pace was shot after that. And then what sucked mm. is I just want to get to that aid station and go. I can't do that anymore because I got to get this fixed. I got to get this taped up. I got to have someone help me, which I wanted to avoid until the race was over. But sometimes you, I mean, you got to do what you got to do to get it fixed. So sure. uh, then did that and then was able to, to go at a decent pace. But that last morning was brutal. Um, I was actually able to go down from the mountain from there and just miss the snow. But everyone else who was behind me got snowed on wow. and it's been ailing later in the day and raining. But we got rained on real bad for two hours in the middle of the night from, oh, man, it was like 3.30 to 5.30. And then by the time it was done, we still had, like I said, it was like probably 30, 35 mile an hour gusts of, of wind. And like, you're like, can the sun just come up already? And you're just like all mad. <laughs> and uh, the key thing is I met up with an awesome guy. His name is Roger. Um, he's an Australian dude. It's an older dude, about 62 years old, but he was just a rock star. knew the course real well, and I just followed right behind him. And I needed that because I was really tired, and I just needed to be with someone, and I could keep up with him. And it worked out really well. And then once we got about – Roger's the man. We got about eight miles out. He doesn't really run, and he looked at me. He's like, man, you can do sub 100. You can do it. He's, I'm like, is it even possible anymore? I honestly, at that point, I just wanted to kind of survive and get through the night because it was so bad from a weather standpoint. That's kind of how these work. Sure. Um, but at that point, he's like, Ryan, go for it. This is runnable. single track. Go. So I did. There's another guy named Tony who was a little bit ahead, got ahead of me. 
he had to take uh, his jacket off once we got like a half mile up there. He's like, I think we do the sub hundred. You want to go with me? I'm like, let's do it. So we did it. And yeah, we both finished within like 30 seconds from the finish line, um, 15 minutes under the hundred mile mark. So Dang, that's man. how that last morning and day went, but it was a crazy journey, crazy story. That's for sure. Dude. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I know I, I speak for myself obviously, but it's, it's hard to really wrap your head around doing something like that because I think that that speaks to how much of a mental game it is, right? Is because, oh, totally. Totally. you know, I can picture a lot of things, but that is something that mentally I, I just can't envision doing, right? And I think that sounds like at least one of the, the biggest pieces to it is belief, right? Being able to say, like, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. I'm going to get this done, you know, next aid station, like you said. Um, but, man, I mean, what an, what an accomplishment, dude. Like, yeah. So last question I have for you is, is so you, you did it and, you know, you, you crossed the finish line. Was there any like, I mean, what, what was the feeling like? Was there any letdown? Was there any like, oh, oh my gosh, like what, what was what was it like at the end? What did you feel? Last, uh, uh, last two miles, I thought about my dad a lot. Um, and it was really cool because I'm like, I'm looking up at the canyons and stuff. And it was just awesome. Cause the last race sucked. Cause when I dropped, it was on his birthday and I couldn't have been in a more negative spot for a long time. Um, it really sucked and wore at me and ate at me for a long time. And, uh, I didn't really tell anyone that it was his birthday and it bothered me, but it bothered me a lot. And I run these races cause he mattered to me a lot. He left an awesome legacy and I want to leave that awesome legacy, um, for, the next generation and the people who are impacting my life. Cause that's what we have. We have these relationships. We have these people who are impacting our lives. And, uh, I just kept thinking I'm going to be doing this and this is so freaking awesome. And there's going to be the coolest belt buckle ever next to his tombstone now. And, um, it's awesome. It's going to say 240 on it. It's green. It's got an Eagle on it. He loved Eagles. And, uh, I thought about that a lot. I thought about my family. Um, I thought about all the people that mattered to me the most. I thought about all the people who helped me along this race. Um, I thought about the volunteers and it's so funny. All these people in these races will say like, you know, are you coming back again next year? Man, what I want to do. And I even told Candace, uh, the person who designs and organizes these races, this too. I said, your races are made because of your volunteers and they are family to me now. Um, Hector and his crew are all family to me. Like each and every one of the people who I bonded with over the course of this time. And like I mentioned to those volunteers, Jen and Nicole, like I mentioned, they were standing for me at the end when I finished the race. Mike was there for me at the end of the race when he got there, Ben, and just so many different people. All these people who I had done the race with, I made sure I stayed and waited because when they finished the race, the first thing I wanted to do is just give them a big hug and embrace them because like the feeling of you just did this. And it, it, this is not just a quick feat. This is a something you remember for the rest of your life because of just the hell you go through to, in order to do it. So. Um, all those things are kind of running through my head um, while I was doing. Also, I was wearing pants before I got there. And then I got like a half mile away and I realized, oh, crap. One, our logo is on my shorts. So I'm like, I got to take my, my, my pants off. But then two, <laughs> my bib number is also on my shorts too. So I'm like, I for sure I have to take my pants off. Otherwise, they're not going to even know who's crossing the finish line. Um, so try to have some fun with it too. Honestly, I, I tried to try to balance out the the serious stuff. I'm a serious guy, but I even told you this before the race. I'm going to be a little more loose in this race. And it helped me out a lot. Um, and I was just trying to crack jokes as often as possible, trying to have some fun out there. Um, because with all the serious stuff that's out there too, 
you got to enjoy life and you got to have a blast. And so I really did. And uh, it was amazing. It was awesome. And uh, if you're not out there having a blast and just kind of making fun of yourself, like, what are you doing? Because you're doing something pretty crazy and stupid. And a lot of people think you're an idiot anyway. So um, it was uh, it was a blast. It was a lot of fun. But it's it's ultimately really cool to be able to know um, that, that legacy that you're leaving and, and just what that's all about. So that was a ton of fun. I thought about people I work with, people who we work with all the time, our clients, um, just so many different people have impacted my life and whatnot too. So, um, it's, it was really, really awesome. It was a memorable journey. And, um, I know so many people are like, you know, you come back next year, all that stuff for me, what matters more is, is being able to continue to have impact on people's lives and just finding ultimately a challenge that's going to help me become a better person on a day in and day out basis. Cause it's not, it's not the race. It's the journey it takes for you to get to that race and that moment that really matters. So um, that's what's really cool. And that's what I can't wait for what's next. Dude, that's awesome, man. Yeah. So, well, first of all, publicly, I'll just say I'm proud of you, man. Um, Thanks, our, our team, you know, especially after what you've been through with multiple different parts of your life. I mean, you know, we won't get into every single thing, but I know a lot yeah. about your 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 history and uh, some of the things you've overcome and some of the journeys you've been been through the ups and downs. So uh, it's just as a teammate, man. I mean, I'm I'm really really just honored to have you on the team. Thanks, man. Uh, and uh, I know our <laughs> our group of clients and team, our other team members were. I, I'll speak for myself, but I was checking your uh, your race update like 15, 20 times a day. Yeah. I think yeah. <laughs> I would check it before I go to sleep. I check it when I wake up. Like kind of living through you a little bit. Um, yeah. I know we're running a Spartan race together here in a couple of weeks. I, I'm yeah. training for it, actually. <laughs> oh, dude, hey, look, man, I'm I'm, I'm going to be ready, man. Like, and by the yeah. way, anyone out there who wants to come too, we're going to be in Washington D.C. Halloween weekend. We're doing a Spartan, and don't just think because I ran 240, I'm going to be pussing out and like not wanting to be like a back runner. Screw that. I compete with this guy, so yeah, um, we're going to go out there and run it, run hard, and have some fun in the process. Right and, yeah support anybody else who's out there with us uh, for sure. So I'm, I'm looking forward to whatever is next. Um, I know you'll probably think of something crazy. You'll probably, you know. Honestly, because we're going to be in the same area. I'm going to be looking to do stuff with you. Like the biggest yeah, thing man. to me, here's what I really learned a lot too. Like one of my favorite people in this race was Hector. And here's why. If you go check out Hector, what he's all about is, and it's the same with Nick. And I've told you this too, like with whatever I do and whatever I want to just go with things too community is so big and, and and having a big impact on people around it's funny the place i'm even at right now is one of my buddies whose workout group i was a part of when i was out in california and i even kind of snuck the name in before while we were doing this called galvanize those are my brothers those are going to be the guys who are going to be there with me in the biggest and best moments of my life they were there for me in the lowest moments of my life you've got to have that community you've got to have that brotherhood and it doesn't matter essentially what you're doing, but as long as you're doing it together and you have others in your life, that is what matters. And making sure that you can get other people surrounded with you and they're all going to play their role. That's what's really huge and key. And it's not about one person. When Hector crossed the finish line, there's like 15 people behind him. It was so freaking awesome. And uh, I had posted on Instagram just a, a quick embrace that I had had with him. That's what it was all about for me. It was about those embraces. It's about those those brotherhoods and those things, those bonds that are forged that I'll have forever. Every time I see Hector the rest of my life, every time I see Lars the rest of my life, like we have that, we have that time that we spent and no one can take that away. And so that's, what's important for me and being able to go through it and suffer through it and be able to do it on a journey with someone. It's not as much whatever it is in the end that we're going for that matters, but who you become along the way. And that's what we tell people when we're trying to have them join this program, honestly. And that's why I say that too, because 
look, you have your end goal of however much weight you want to lose. You want to be a better dad. You want to make sure you're there for someone, you know, you want to set yourself up for having a significant other down the road, whatever it is that your goal is. Like the most important part of that is not that actual end goal. It's who you're becoming along the way, that process, because that is the destination. And that is what's going to allow you to become who you want to become. Because as we talk about all the time, this life, it moves, moves quick. And so, you know, did you make today count? Are you making it count? So um, that's what I'm fired up for. And I can't wait to do it with you, man. So absolutely, man. We got some good stuff on the horizon. I know we're going to tackle some big things and have some fun for sure. But, uh, you know, test our test our, our ourselves on the process. So excited, man. Well, hey, uh, this is just uh, one chapter that's closing. We got another one coming up next. But um, yeah. appreciate you taking the time to go through the journey, dude. Uh, what a sure, story. Man. What an accomplishment. It'll be something you remember forever. I'll remember it forever. I know that. Um, so, guys, those who are listening, make sure you check out Ryan. Make sure you connect with Ryan on all platforms here. Um, I'll tag him in some of the comments so you guys can uh, see what we're up to and make sure you follow along on his path and journey. So, Ryan, life moves fast, man. Appreciate you making an account. Thanks for hopping on the show, brother. And I'll talk right. to you soon, man. Sounds good. Peace.